In Ephesians 3.12, Paul told us that we could have boldness and confidence before God's throne. Today, in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, he dared to make the biggest ask in prayer imaginable. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wordson, and find out what Paul wanted from God. Every one of you worship in your life. If you're a college student, if you're a child, there's something that really turns you on. It gets you excited. Some of you, for example, are A&Mers. And you go down to A&M and you're just enthralled. You're caught up with the pageantry. And as you watch the core form up, you are moved to declare the praises, to praise the, the greatness of A&M University. That's what worth-ship, and I'm saying worth-ship is expressing the worth of something. You all do it. Some of you, like young people, you go to a rock concert, like Dave Matthews is playing. And I'm an old guitar player, and when I watch Dave Matthew all over the neck of that guitar doing incredible things, I move to go, I'm just awestruck. I'm just Jimi Hendrix, you know, in the rock scene was known as the world's greatest guitar player. What He stood up in a concert as a young, unknown army guy. One of the leading guitar players in England was doing a concert. And Jimi Hendrix had his guitar at the concert. And he stood up at the concert. And everything that this leading supposed guitar player in the world did, Jimi Hendrix did exactly the same time, only better. And so if you talk to any guitar player that's in that scene, mention Jimi Hendrix, and they're, they're awestruck. If you're an athlete, like a, a Lawrence Taylor that played for the Giants, he was awesome. We use those words. And if you're an athlete, when you watch those old films of him just annihilating quarterbacks and throwing off 200 and, you know, 300 pound linemen, you're just saying, man, I just can't believe this. It's power. It's beauty. You ladies, when you see Grace Kelly, Princess Grace, and all of her grandeur, when Grace Kelly walked into a room, everybody worshipped. And ultimately, we use that word of the one that ultimately deserves worship, but often we think of it as being a dull kind of service where it's all quiet and, and we're falling asleep and everything else. We don't understand that what the Lord's moving you to do, it's that response from your heart when you really find out how incredibly mighty, how incredibly powerful, how incredibly loving, how incredibly inexhaustible our living God is. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, about what in business is called the big ask, or big, hairy, audacious gold. If you've read Jim Collins' books, he wrote a book that's called Built to Last. He wrote another book, From Good to Great. And he analyzes what makes companies great. And one of his basic ideas is that, that great companies have big, hairy, audacious goals. There was a young man in the 20s, went out to L.A., and you've all heard this song, you know, put $100 down and buy a car, and you're going to go out and join the movie scene, and weeks turn into months and months, and you end up just pumping gas instead of becoming a movie star. Well, this guy had that happen to him. He went out to L.A., was going to be getting to the movies, and nobody wanted him, but he was an artist. He drew cartoons. He bought one of these 60-millimeter cameras, you know, a regular camera that was just beginning to be developed and becoming more available to normal people. And he started drawing pictures, and he started taking those pictures in sequences. He started putting it together. It's called an animated cartoon. And he had an idea, a big, hairy, audacious idea, a big, hairy, audacious goal to have a full-length cartoon. Nobody had ever done that. Everyone laughed at him, thought it was nuts. 
But every one of your kids have seen Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Fantasia, and on and on we can go. He went to a theme park with his family in the early 50s. And I used to do that as a kid. I used to go to Coney Island in New York. Man, you get on this rickety roller coaster and you didn't know whether that thing was really very exciting because there was danger involved. And, and this old rickety lumber roller coaster, you didn't know whether you're going to make it or not. The place wasn't really very clean. And if you had your little kids with you, man, you had to be careful. The entertainment was, was not family friendly, I'll tell you that. And especially in New York, you had to keep your hand in your pockets all the time so you didn't get pickpocketed. Disney had that happen. He took his family to all these amusement parks in the 50s. He came home one day and said, you know, I can do better than that. And Disney had a dream. He dreamt of an amusement park that would be where dreams can come true. He dreamt of a place that would have state-of-the-art rides, state-of-the-art technology, no rickety roller coaster. Man, this would be state-of-the-art engineering. He thought of a place where mom and dads could take their little kids and they wouldn't have to be afraid at all because it would be totally family friendly. And he thought of a place above all that would be spanking clean. How many of you have ever been to Disney World at Disneyland? Stand up. Now that shows you. I want you to look around. That is the power of Walt Disney's big, audacious, hairy goal. And you've all experienced, the vast majority of you. And the rest of you that are sitting down saying, well, I'm going to go there. That's what my dream is. I want to go where dreams come true, okay? You know what makes that possible? You've got to make the big ask. Walt Disney had to keep after people. We can do this. He had to get engineers together. He had to get creative artists together. He had to make big asks. He had to make big requests. I want to talk to you about a portion of Scripture today where the Apostle Paul made the biggest ask that I've ever heard. I really mean that. I want to talk to you today about a portion of scripture where I believe the Apostle Paul makes the biggest ask. He makes the biggest hairy audacious picture and goal and future that I've ever heard. And the incredible thing I want you to know is that he's praying for every one of you. If you've invited Jesus to come into your heart, if you haven't, you can do that while I'm talking because Jesus is right here and he'd love to come into your life. But the vast majority of you have invited Jesus into your heart. The problem is, you don't know how audacious and how great and how incredible he really is and his plans for you. And some of you are puttering along with these measly dreams of Disney World, Disneyland, when you got a heavenly daddy that makes Walt's dream mean nothing. Because he has a place where dreams really do come true, and they come true forever. And that's what our church family is about. And, and some of you that might think, like, you might have been raised where church was the place where you got buried and where you got married. I don't know which comes first. No, I'm only kidding. You get married, and then you get buried, okay? It might be the place that you think of that, that you, some of you dads might feel, this is the place we come. We want our kids to get nice moral values. And you might think that this is a place where we, we sing nice songs and we feel nice warm thoughts. It's kind of a soft cushion life. I got news for you. You are sitting in the place called the church. And it's not this building. It's you. And I want you to get a hold of the fact that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 told you that because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, that you can walk into the presence of the eternal God of the universe... And you can do it boldly, you can do it confidently, and you can make the big ask. And to prove that it's so, in the very next verses, turn to your Bible in Ephesians chapter 3, because the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, actually, in verse 14, illustrates to us what it means. He busts, and you might say, into the presence of God, 
And he makes one big, hairy, audacious ask, a big ask for you. And I want you to listen, because I believe that if we get a hold of this, it's going to change your life. There's some of you that, that don't have inner strength in your life today, and I want to encourage you, I'm going to share with you, my strength personally is not great, not strong today. And maybe you're not very strong. Some of you are in marriages where you think you've run out of gas. You have run out of gas. You don't think you have run out of gas. You don't have love for each other anymore. I want to talk to you about that. Some of you have kids that have wandered away and, and you just are ready to throw your hands up and you've had it. You don't have the strength. I got good news for you today. It's okay. It's going to be okay. And I'm not going to tell you, well, man, you need to reach deeper. You need to try harder, man. You need to lift your personal character, you know, weights a little bit harder because it's going to come. I'm going to share with you. No, be totally honest. You might be out of strength today. I got good news for you. The Apostle Paul made a big, carry audacious ask for you. Now, it starts out, if you look at verse 14, the Apostle Paul came back in verse 14 to what he started in verse 1. In verse 1 of chapter 3, started out, for this reason, I, Paul, and he was going to pray, but he got so excited about the unity of the body of Christ. He got so excited about Jews and Gentiles falling in love with each other and actually being able to get along and actually loving Christ that he went off for several verses. And that's a good thing. So if you get excited in your relationship with the Lord and you don't just keep things in logical order, that's okay. Because what we want is authenticity in your life and in my life. And the Apostle Paul models that for us. He's, he's not just giving you a set, prepared speech. Some of you have listened to preachers. They just read everything, and it's all neatly packaged. And when you get all in, you go, so what? Who cares? Because it's not their life. The Apostle Paul's not that kind of a preacher. The Apostle Paul's living this stuff. And hopefully, by God's grace, I want to live it for you as well. I want to just be, I'm in this business called getting close to Christ and becoming like him and experience what he is. And we're actually doing this by faith, so we can't actually just see it all the time. It's about an internal thing. The Apostle Paul was like that, and he lived 2,000 years ago. But if you'll open your heart, his words will touch your life and strengthen you today. And that's one of the evidence that you can know that this is the truth, that something happens inside of you, and it does help you to get through another week. The Apostle Paul is all about that, authenticity. He didn't just teach in a seminary somewhere. He didn't just teach on the circuit and make a lot of money. This guy went to jail for what he believed. So listen, he comes back. He comes back to what he was praying about. And he says, for this reason, what was the reason? For this reason, because of the unity of the body of Christ, because of Jews and Gentiles being able to be in a body, because of this universal group of people that have fallen in love with Jesus, I bow the knee, I kneel, I bow the knee before the Father. From whom, and the NIV translates from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derive its name, but it doesn't really say in the text that it's his family. Paul's much broader in the, this context. I want to talk to you about something, first of all, I want to talk about who you address in prayer. So as we watch, as we have this opportunity to watch the Apostle Paul pray, you're watching one of the greatest, most intimate followers of Jesus that ever lived. We get to watch him pray. And what we first of all see is that the Apostle Paul, his posture in prayer is kneeling in prayer. Now, interesting, a lot of us think, oh, yeah, kneel in prayer, sure, I've done that. Some of you are from, like, a Roman Catholic background where it's very common to kneel in prayer. I've been in Methodist churches where they have kneeling benches, so it's really common for us as believers. Oh, yeah, I kneel in prayer. But actually, for Jewish people, kneeling's not the usual way that you pray. In fact, Jews usually stand up and pray. In fact, if you go to the Wailing Wall, you'll be able to watch it. They stand up and they rock back and forth and they read their prayers, and that's a normal way for Jewish people to pray. 
That's one of the reasons why if you have Jewish kids in your class, it's very uncomfortable for them to have like a moment of silence where, because prayer isn't silent. Now, it, it's supposed to be just silence, but it's not, it's, we all know what we're, we're trying to get kids to focus on. And you just need to understand if you're working, it's why we have to be very sensitive, because for Jewish people, that's not the way you pray at all. You are out loud, repeat. And they stand up, okay? So we need to be sensitive about things like that. In the Old Testament, sometimes they did kneel in prayer. For example, Daniel, when he prayed, he knelt and bowed toward Jerusalem from Babylon because he was in captivity, and he knelt in prayer. King Solomon, for example, when he dedicated the temple on this marvelous day, it says that King Solomon got down on his knees and he lifted his hands to God and he prayed. What a picture of the king down on his knees before the king of heaven opening his hands to receive the blessings of God. And that was the way Solomon prayed. Now, where did this idea of kneeling come from? Where it comes from is the way that you entered into a great monarch. Now, one of the things we're going to teach you is that God is your daddy. In fact, in this passage, it says that he's the daddy of all daddies. That's the idea. In fact, Paul uses a play on words where he talks about, and we're bowing the knee before the father of all fathers. Of the fathers, and in English, it also has the idea he's the father of all families. And I want you to understand this is very important. The greatness of your father. As you go back and ask the question, like when I asked Jonathan, Joel, Joshua, and Janae, where did you come from? They look at me. When someone asks them, where did you guys come from? They look at me. I'm their daddy. I'm the one that originated them. Now, ultimately, when you keep on going back, going back, going back, going back, the Bible teaches that the ultimate daddy is our Father in heaven, God. You didn't come here by chance. You're not just an accident. As you go back, eventually, when you ask the question of where did I come from, the answer, Paul says, is in the ultimate daddy of daddies. I want you often to see that it's the fathers of all earthly families and heavenly families. So we got a daddy that even generated the angels. He generated the good angels, and when the angels rebelled, he also was the one that ultimately gave birth to the fallen angels. Not that he was responsible for them in the, making them fall. That was their responsibility. But the Bible teaches this awesome greatness of God. You say, Dave, is that important? Yes, it is. Everybody that you meet, you're going to meet somebody this week that they don't think God exists. They think he's a bunch of baloney. They think this religious thing is just a crock. And they don't believe it at all. And you're going to be tempted to say, well, I guess I don't have anything to tell them. Oh, yes, you do. God's their daddy. They're ultimately from God. They exist before because of God. They're breathing because of God. They have a heartbeat because of God. So don't think that God doesn't care about them. Because he does. Now, now, when I'm teaching you this, the liberal theology teaches you the fatherhood of man, the brotherhood of men, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of men and, what it's, and men and women, what it's saying is that, that all of us are intimately related to God. We're going to live with God no matter what. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible said there's been a great problem in the family. We chose to walk out of Daddy's house. We walked away from him, and he loved us enough that he holds us responsible for our decisions, and he accepts our decisions. And we joined the alien group, guys, men and women. And that's why the Bible says that we become strangers and we become alienated from our father. That's why Jesus told this story of the prodigal son that went out of the father's house and needed to come back home. So it's very important to understand that God is the father of all fathers. He's the source of all family, of all human cohesiveness. But not everybody directly is 
can call him, that's my personal daddy, and I'm in relationship with him. That's what Jesus has to do. Does that make sense? But it's very important because sometimes evangelical believers forget the solidarity of the fatherhood of God as our creator. That would be a way I could teach you. Why is that important? Because some of you, and, some, and myself included, sometimes you have deeply embedded racism in your heart. You look at certain groups of people and you don't feel connected with them. You feel very different from them. And that's wrong. The Bible teaches whenever you look at somebody, red and yellow, black and white, they come from the same father you did. That's what was wrong when the Nazis, like early in the 30s, when the Nazis started saying, us Aryans, we're the family. This German race, we're the family. These Jews are not from the Father. These Jews are not really human beings that are connected with us. Therefore, we can kill them. That's how they argued. And I want you to understand how powerful it is in any, in your, anything in your life that starts you to cause, like, I don't really care about Brazilians, man, they're not related to me. You're not believing that God ultimately is their daddy. If you say, oh, who cares about the Indians? We can't worry about the Indians, man, we've got enough problem to worry about here. You're denying what Paul is praying. We are praying to the ultimate father of fathers. Our mission desire to go into all the world with the gospel is to be able to reach the children that have been estranged from this ultimate daddy and help them to come back home. Christianity is about that. That makes sense? Really important. And the, and the, the attitude that we have is that it's like we're going before a great king. The idea of kneeling... In the ancient world, when you came in before a king like Pharaoh, you didn't just come bopping in like an American and folding in and goes, oh, I just thought I'd come in today and see how you're doing, Pharaoh. How you doing? If you did that, your head would roll. You'd be thrown to the crocodiles in the Nile River. What you did is you had to have an audience with the Pharaoh, and you came in, and your first move was to go like this. You got down on your knees, and then you went all the way down, kind of like the Islamic people do. And that's where that came from. What an Islamic person is doing when they kneel and then go all the way down, they're expressing that they believe that Allah is their sovereign. Now, brothers and sisters, what Paul is saying, that we in our hearts, and this is what's more important, in fact, I would encourage you at times to pray on your knees. It's good for me and it's good for you. But more importantly, we want to be sure that we're on our knees in our hearts, understanding that our ultimate daddy is the king and the Lord of our life. You see, as you address your daddy, if you've got your arms folded and you've got the idea, man, I, you know, God, I, I've got some great plans here and I know what needs to happen in my life and I know what needs to happen in this church and I know what you ought to do in this marriage and I want to know what you ought to do with these kids and, and God, I, here, I want to just outline, man, you and I, me and can do really good here. We work on this together. That's not going to work too well because it's not understanding who this father of fathers really is. I also want to remind you this idea of the father of fathers means whenever you see an unbeliever, their family holds together. Evangelical believers often ask me, say, man, look at this unbeliever. Their family is much better than my family. My family, man, it's horrible. I mean, we're, we can't get along. We fight everything else. And Jesus' grace is supposed to be present. Yeah, Jesus' grace should be present. We need to all band together and pray for you. But you know that unbeliever that's getting along? You know why they're getting along? Because God's so full of grace. He'll help even his children that have wandered away that aren't responding to his son, he'll give them grace. And sometimes they get along better than believers get along. But anytime you see companionship, anytime you see true bonding, anytime you see an expression of true love and community, it's all from your daddy because he's the father of the families. Okay? Now, recognizing that as we're down on our knees, we watch the Apostle Paul, he's acknowledging God as 
as the king. But he also recognizes that we're the sons and daughters of God because of Jesus. We're the sons and daughters of God so we can make the big ask. We can come in there with boldness. We can come in there with confidence. What's the big ask that the Apostle Paul made? He made three big asks. Number one, look at them in the next verse, verses 16 and 17. He says, From whom his whole family on heaven and earth derive his name, from whom all families on heaven and earth derive its name, I pray, now here's Paul's prayer, that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We need to pray that God will give us inner strength from the God's Holy Spirit so that Christ will be at home in your life. What is Paul saying? How many of you have ever reached a place in your inner man that you're out of gas? Anybody ever been there? Now, what Dr. Phil didn't tell you at this point is that you need to watch Oprah more and watch his show more. You need to buy more of his books, and if you'll only look a little bit deeper, you're going to find some more strength. And what I want to share with you, in other words, he'll give you techniques for doing that. I can give you, like, I can use psychology to give you a lot of insight into why you've run out of gas and why you're a basket case and why things aren't going very good. If you're in your marriage, some of you in your marriage are out of inner strength. We can help you to understand why you're out of gas, the dynamics of what happened in your family, what happened in your family of origin, some of the choices you have made that have caused you to get out of gas. But I want to share some with you. You can learn all about why you're out of gas, but it's not going to put gas in your tank. And I got good news for you. You don't have to pretend that you have gas. Some of you right today, are you don't have inner strength. You don't have inner power. And the Apostle Paul doesn't say, I pray that you will go down deeper into your personality, that you will go down deeper into your own resources, and that you will find the self-confidence and the self-power to be able to do that. One of the amazing gifts that Jesus has given to you, it says that Jesus' Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, came to live inside of your heart when you invited Jesus into your life. And it's about time for us as believers to start asking the Father to strengthen us through his power. Now, what does that mean? It means you stop. This text tells us that we do it by faith. It means that we recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it goes on and says, we pray that the Holy Spirit will cause us to have Christ be at home in our life. You see that phrase? And this is real, real important. That phrase that Christ might be at home in our life. Because it doesn't mean that we're inviting Christ to come in to live in our life. That's what you do when you receive Jesus as your Savior. That's another way of talking about it. You invite Jesus to come into your life and take up residence. But how many of you have had somebody living in your, in your house that's not at home? Have you ever had in your family things where someone's living in your house, but you're not really happy about it, and you're not getting along very good? Anybody? Can, am I connecting with anybody out there? You got it? Yeah, yeah. Wait till the holidays. You'll have it a bunch. <laughs> you see, somebody can be in our house, but if I disagree, for example, it happened in our family. You know, our families are all grown up now. They all come back, and so we've raised an issue. And somebody just totally disagreed with me. 
Say, man, you're not supposed to disagree with me. Man, I'm the father of this house. They totally disagree with me. Then we fight. Well, we don't feel very at home at that point. Now, when it's fellow human beings, we, we need to learn to argue and fight because we, we're not omnipotent. But I want to share something with you. You want to learn to talk to Jesus and argue with Jesus, but eventually you want to agree with Jesus. You know why? Because he's God. Because he's ultimately wise. And you know what? If you constantly disagree with him and you say, well, you know, you're not even going to know what he has to say if you don't read what he says in his word. So some of you say, well, if I don't feel very strong in my inner man today, what am I going to do about it? Well, you haven't listened to Jesus talk to you. You have no idea what Jesus wants you to do. You've read Cosmopolitan on it. You've watched Oprah Winfrey on it. I could go on and on. You've talked to your best friends that go to the hairdresser with you, and they have all their ideas. You've got all kinds of instruction. You talk to your brothers and sisters. Make it really concrete. You're married. Way back when you were 12 years of age, in middle school, you looked across an enchanted room and you suddenly fell in love. The American thing happened. You were in love. And man, you lived in a bubble of it was Walt Disney's dreams can come true. It lasted about three days. And then the bubble burst. You move up into high school, and the bubble lasted a little bit longer. Some of you eventually found the person you're now sitting next to you, and you were courted, and the guy treated you like a queen if you're a lady, and man, the bubble grew and grew and grew. You went to Hawaii for your honeymoon, and then you came back, and for about eight months, things really went great, and then poof, now you're into this marriage about three years, and man, the bubble's gone. You don't love them. You're at it in her strength. So what do you decide at that point? I'm out of inner strength. The bubbles burst. I'm out of here. No. In fact, you're not going to ever find love because you're going to look for it in the wrong place. You're not going to even learn what love is about because the second thing the Apostle Paul prayed is not only that you'd be strengthened with inner power from the Holy Spirit, but he prayed that Christ would become at home in your life. Why? Because Christ is the author of love. I want to say that again. Tom Cruise is not going to teach you how to love. Just look at his marriages, guys. Some of you ladies, you go in and you see this marvelous, you know, you Grant. Wow, you know, man, he's such a marvelous guy. And boy, is he good looking. And he's so sensitive. He's so smooth. He's English. Man, look at the way he talks. Look at his relationships, ladies. You, gotta, you need a good dose of reality. You need to ask yourself, where am I going to find love? And some of you, when you're telling me, man, I'm out of here. No more Bible. No more praying. Don't want any more of this Jesus stuff. Man, I'm going out. So where do you go? You go to country bars. Great place. Going to really find consistent, passionate, confidence-keeping, promise-keeping people. That's where they are. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a great time and country dancing. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm looking for where are you going to find love? And I want to tell you the truth. Now, listen to me really carefully. There's only one. Remember I talked about daddy, the ultimate daddy of daddies? The ultimate lover of lovers is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the ultimate source of love. If you're homosexual, you know what you're looking for? You're looking for love. But that same-sex partner is not going to ever give you love. You're looking for it. But very easily they'll make you sick. 
very easily they'll abandon you. And very easily there's going to come a time when there's no fire, there's no passion, it's all gone. And some of you that are just straight, you can't imagine how anybody would ever want to do that. And I want to share with you, don't you be so judgmental and everything because they're looking for love just like you. There's some marriages right now that they just can't stand each other. Some of you are working with marriages where they just can't stand each other. They actually kill each other. They're throwing plates at each other. They cuss at each other. They call each other names that I can't even mention on Sunday morning. What are we going to do about that? I'm going to show you what we do. The Apostle Paul prayed that the love of Christ would be a shed abroad in our hearts. Look what he says here as he prayed. He says, and I pray, and I pray that, the heart, that your hearts through faith that means that we recognize that though it's invisible, that it's a relationship of trust. It, our life started when we put our trust in Jesus to die and, and rise again for us and to come in and live in our life. And now Paul's talking about applying this faith as we live day by day in the rough and tumble of our life. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Your Christian life started like a plant. You were rooted in love, Christ's love. But God commended his love toward us and that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You were born again because Christ rooted you in his love. Your life was founded. The moment you invited Jesus into your heart, you invited the Savior to take up residence in your life, you were grounded. The foundation of your life was laid in love. But now you need to build off that root. Now you need to build off that foundation. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Having, having been, when you received Jesus in Ephesians 2, rooted and grounded in love, I pray now that you might have power. And you need to do this together with all the saints. You can't do this by yourself. You need to do this in union with other believers. Together with all the saints, what? So that you will grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. What's the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying this. You want to find love? Jesus has an inexhaustible supply. I love what Philip Hughes, the pastor of College Church in Wheaton, said about this incredible idea of love, the height and the depth. He talked about this is a love which is wide enough to embrace the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is a love that's long enough. Christ's love is long enough that it will last forever, for eternity. Spurgeon wrote, It is so long that your old age cannot wear it out. So long your continual tribulation cannot exhaust it. So long that your successive temptation shall not drain it dry. Like eternity itself, Christ's love knows no bounds. And this love is high enough to take you to heaven as a sinner. A sinner can go to heaven. And this love is deep enough that you can't get so deep, you can't get so far away from Jesus, that he can't get down there and reach you with his love. My brothers and sisters, I want every one of you to know, you can't have run out of gas so hard. You can't be facing so great a temptation. You can't be facing such a great problem that you exhaust God's love. And Paul's final request, number one, I want you to be innerly strengthened by the Spirit. Inner power from God's Holy Spirit, not from your own inner strength. Number two, to come to grip with it, to have the inexhaustible love of Jesus poured out in your heart. And thirdly, he prays the biggest audacious prayer he could ever ask. He wants you to be filled with all the fullness of God. You know what that means? One day, forever and ever, and it started now, your heavenly daddy is starting to fill you with his divinity, starting to fill you with his character starting to fill you with his grace, starting to fill you with his power. It's like being at the Pacific Ocean and taking a little glass and you put it down and the Pacific Ocean's fillness fills the glass. The glass is filled with the fullness of the Pacific Ocean, but it hasn't begun to touch the vastness 
And that's what your father, you say, what are we going to be doing in heaven? In heaven, the heavenly father and the spirit and the son are going to be filling us forever and ever with the fullness of God. I am looking not at people that are going to one day go to Disneyland and ride a few rides. I'm looking at big, hairy, audacious people that are one day going to be looking just like the Son of God. Some of your loved ones look like Jesus today, and the fullness of God is flowing into their lives in ways that we can't even imagine, and that's what makes us okay today. I share with you that I don't have inner strength today. I just came back and said, well, Dave, you know, this is great when everything's going good. Yeah. In my own life, one of the biggest drives I have... Dave Lyra and I did really good in seminary, just to be honest with you. We made good grades, and we were acknowledged for that. When my kids came along, my first son, Jonathan, was valedictorian, and at graduation, everybody acknowledged that. He gave a great speech. Intellectualism, keenness, athletics, you all know me. I'm very competitive. Athletics was always big in my life. I was a little bitty guy, but I always tried harder, and I actually did get to play. Most of the time, I played first-string quarterback in our high school my last three years, and then I played a couple years in college, and and that was really big to me. And Courtney and Joel start telling us, like I shared with you last week, their daughter, my first granddaughter, Blythe, things aren't exactly right. And that sucks your inner strength, just like some of you have been there. I'm sharing this because I want you to get the idea we're in this together. And it helps me to begin to realize I don't have the strength. I can't fix that. And what the Lord Jesus does, what does he do? What, what do you do when you have that? You join Paul. You get down on your knees before the Father. Like Courtney's crying and she's expressing the, the agony. This Joel is telling Mary, you know, I'm, I, I'm under a lot of stress. I am. And, and as a parent, you want to help your kids. You want to give your kids strength. And you realize, but I don't even have the strength myself. What do you do? All of you have been there and done that. And this can be true of your marriages. It can be true of your finances. It can be true of your relationship with your kids. What do you do? The Apostle Paul is telling us we got a daddy that has inexhaustible resources. And you know what? Jesus has promised that we pray to him that he's going to fill us with inner strength. It doesn't, I don't have to just whomp you up with Dave's strength and with Dave's enthusiasm. I can just say, hey, God's Holy Spirit, get us through this. And his strength is sometimes quiet. It's sometimes very indiscernible unless you stop and listen, but it's there. And I just want to tell you, I've lived a long time with Jesus, and it really is there. Inner strength. You know what? This isn't divorced from God's love. God's love, no matter what happens, Christ is going to show us his love. Because one of the screwed up values in my life is I think the intelligent, the powerful, the strong, the perfect ones, they're the ones that are okay. And the Bible says, no way. It's the weak ones. And we're all messed up right now. We all have disorders. And we're not perfect yet. And so as we look at the weak ones in our lives, what we think are the weak ones, that's where we find the love of Jesus shed abroad. And so this is a marvelous thing as the Holy Spirit starts to teach me about Christ's love. Aren't you so glad that Jesus didn't come just to the Caesars of the world, but he came to the shepherds of the world? The weak ones. And so God's love continues to be shed abroad in our life. And one day, the cool thing is, maybe the Lord will heal Blythe now, but if, if there is something that's wrong, you know what? There's going to come a day when, if you could see her then, she'll be full of the fullness of God. And some of you have little kids that aren't perfect, and little grandkids that aren't perfect. 
and you struggle with what's happening. And, and, and one of the things Courtney said is, I, why would I ever go away from my daddy in heaven at a time like this? People ask me, are you angry? Yeah, I'm angry. Do you ever feel like you, know, you want to go away from God? He says, why would I ever want to go away from God? He's the only one that can fix this. Don't run away from the only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that can eventually fix everything by his grace. And that's why Paul prayed. He, well, he closes his prayer, and we'll close with this. Let's just pray together. The Apostle Paul prayed, All oh, dear Lord Jesus, thank you to him who is able to do measurably, immeasurably, more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that his work will be within us. To him be the glory in the church. To him be the praise, in other words, the radiance, the, all the adoration, the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that we would join the Apostle Paul in making this big, hairy, audacious request. Lord, I even envision a church family where husbands and wives who run out of love connect very practically and daily with Jesus, the source of love. And instead of going to the divorce court, they kneel together before you as their daddy in heaven. And they let you give them inner strength so that they don't curse each other, they don't hit each other, they don't destroy their marriages. Instead, they learn how to love through the love of Jesus. I think of brothers and sisters that gather together around them and, and wrestle with them and work with them and don't just have pat spiritual answers, but they actually realize that we are in a wrestling match with the forces of darkness and we need to be in this together. I picture a church family where that the town, it's really hard to live in that town without knowing that you're saved by grace because there's so many friends that they meet that give them concrete evidence of self-sacrifice for them and giving to them and love for them. And it just is connected with Jesus. Father, I picture a church family that's totally united, that all different social groups, all different races, all different kinds of people become one and they really love each other because you have fulfilled and answered the Apostle Paul's prayer. He prayed this 2,000 years ago. It's one of the biggest struggles that's taken place in church history. Lord, strengthen my brothers and sisters that sit before me and help them to spend some time this week praying for one another and praying for impossible situations, asking you for inner strength. In Jesus' name, amen.